All right, so our first scripture reading is 51, 1 through 12, which says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your greatest compassion, blout out my transgressions, wash away all my inequity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire the truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop, <laughs> and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Hide uh, and blot out all my inequity. Create in me pure, a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. All right, our second scripture reading today is in Exodus chapter 16. We're reading verses 2 through 4 and then hopping to 9 through 15. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If we only had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you, and each day the people shall go out and gather enough for that day. In that way, I will test them whether they will follow my instructions or not. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the Israelites, Draw near to the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. And as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall have your fill of bread, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a fine flaky substance, as fine as frost on the ground. When the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they had, did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now I'm about to read our gospel text, but first I wanted to make a quick correction in the bulletin that I didn't make already. Um, our hymn of invitation is not 694, it is 493. Um, I like, for continuity's sake, to do something Chuck would do. Um, so that is what he would do, so that's what I intentionally did. So it is 493, your hymn of invitation will be 493. Your scripture reading for the gospel it's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his servant John is John 6, 24 through 34. And it says, So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum and to look for him. And they found him on the other side of the lake and asked the rabbi, Rabbi, how did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. You don't. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy looking for eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of approval. 
But they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one who was sent. And they answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? What can you do, Jesus? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. And scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses did give, didn't give bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread of heaven. The, bread, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day. And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There. Thank you so much, Sherry and Steve and those. I lost Steve somewhere. Uh, but thank you, everyone, that are helping so much in our transition with our music team. We know that there will be some kinks that we have to work out, but we are so grateful for them and how they are faithful to us and to this congregation and to the Lord. We are grateful for you. So we're excited to see everybody today. Thank you guys for being here. Um, so some of you know, we recently took our girls to the beach a couple weekends ago. And those of you that can remember or currently have two kids under the age of seven knows that there is a lot of planning, a lot of planning that is involved, you know, just to get them down there uh, from the packing, the organizing. But the most important thing to us at this point, and I don't know if y'all have done a long drive in a minute, but it's iPads. Like iPads are super duper important to us headphones ipads and headphones now this past car ride that we took six or seven by the time we actually got down there eight and a half hours to the beach um it wasn't our first of the summer earlier this uh, in the summer memorial day we went and visited my sister in jacksonville florida and that was the 12 hour drive and i might not ever do that again um then we drove to rachel's wedding and we did the three hours there went to the wedding and we drove the three hours back the same day with our littles won't do that again either but um that was six hours in the car that day and so we knew the drill a couple weekends ago right like we knew we have to download the movies off Netflix the downloadable ones and the TV shows we have everything charged we have it all plugged in and we're ready to go right maybe um but inevitably two hours into this trip Winnie is going to unplug the headphones and she's never going to get them back in like never they're never going back in and I will hear Elmo in the back seat for six hours that, that is definitely happening. Eden might absentmindedly chew on the headphone cord, and they might not work, you know, four hours in because um, they just break, and then they're gone. And the plug won't stay in, and the iPads won't stay charged. That happened to us. The charger just went out. And, and then after not too terribly long in the car, we're going to hear it because we can feel that simmer of discontentment from the back seat, right? And every parent in this room knows what words I'm going to hear from the back seat. Those dreaded words. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? We weren't, I mean, to Meridian uh, before I heard. Are we there yet? Can we get out of the car now? Are we there yet? And all we as parents want, right, is to stave off those tears until we get to the beach. Like, please don't cry on this journey. I'm taking you to a nice place. I'm taking you to a cool place. Like, there's a condo on the beach, and you get to hang out there. And if you would just be good for a little while longer, I will take you there. I promise. But we can see that same sentiment of, are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
from our old friends, the wandering in the desert Israelites in that Exodus passage, right? They are seeking the promised land, kind of like I just wanted to find the beach. But that discontentment was starting to simmer deep down. So God does what any good mom in the front seat does, and he tries to fix the iPad. He unplugs it, replugs it, offers the solution. Would you like some manna, Israelites? Would you like some manna, this daily bread for food that will sustain you? Maybe it will keep you quiet till we get there. Maybe it will keep you quiet till we get there. And it works for a minute, but not for long, right? Because it never does. So the good mom in the front seat needs to pull out, you know, the more tricks that you have. You always, you don't just have one thing. You have more things. Would you want some Cheetos? Israelites. Um, I have Twizzlers. I always keep Twizzlers in the front seat. They're very easy. They're not messy. And you should put them in the back. If you want some Twizzlers, Israelites, that would be good for you. I have Gatorade with a twist top to where it doesn't spill and then you'll do. Maybe you need some quail, Israelites. Maybe that would make you happy. Maybe you would quit crying <laughs> till we get there, right? Like, I feel like that's all that God was trying to do was make it stop. Maybe quail will make it happy. I know that manna might not have been what you wanted. Maybe this is what you need. But just like I will eventually experience some tears in that car before my feet hit the sand, the Israelites will make a golden calf before their feet hit the promised land. Because it's never enough, is it? Just like long car rides are the pressure cooker for young kids' emotions, the discontentment that the Israelites experience is the ticking time bomb in the life of an individual. It always simmers, and it's never enough. We see that same discontentment mirrored in the disciples in our New Testament text as well. To fully appreciate the text, though, we kind of have to back up just a little bit. I read the part where they meet Jesus in Capernaum, but we need to go back at the beginning of John chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, this is a story we all know well. We all know this one. There's two versions of the feeding of the multitudes in the New Testament, but this one is the one we're probably most familiar. It's the one with the little boy and the two loaves and the five, five two, one of them. There's loaves and fishes. Five loaves, two fishes. And um, Jesus says, sit down and I will feed you. And then they gather 12 baskets of leftovers. This is the one we tell the kids, right? They gather 12 baskets of leftovers. And I don't, ever, I don't think I have identified more with Jesus in this part of a text than I did last Sunday. I had an estimate in my head from the beginning of last Sunday about how many people I thought was going to be here. But somehow, in my ignorance, and in ignorance it was, I forgot to convey it to everyone I asked to bring dishes that, hey, it's not going to be 35 people, it's probably like 60. Never told everybody that. Um, and so I never said, hey, maybe you should plan for a few extra. And then maybe you should double your recipe. Maybe I should have doubled my recipe. And I thought that, and then people just kept coming in. And then my estimates were even off. The few extra that I thought were dozens and dozens more. (laughs) And so by the time the church was about to start, with my off estimates being at their were, Shauna comes up to me looking like Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the wedding of Cana. That desperate look of, we don't have enough. Jesus comes up, I mean, Mary comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. But Shauna's trying to cut it off at the path and said, girl, I don't think we have enough. We don't have enough. And so I'm not Jesus, and I didn't perform a miracle that day, but I did order a couple extra casseroles when we picked up the chicken, and everything was fine. And I didn't turn water into wine 
unfortunately. Um, but I did learn a very important lesson in, in Baptist potluck planning that I will remember for a while. But just like the feeding of the 5,000, we had several baskets left over. We had more than enough. We had food for everyone. And we had evidence of God's grace in our moments. And this is where we pick up our gospel passage. The 5,000 have been fed, and then Jesus retreats, as he often does after he does a miracle. And the disciples have gone looking for him, and that's where we find Jesus. They find him, right? And then he was honestly slightly short with the disciples as soon as he was found. And the disciples are all, where did you go, Jesus? And Jesus just says, you only came to me because you're hungry. Again, identifying with the parent and Jesus there. You only came to me because you're hungry. And then they basically said, oh, you don't want to feed us now, Jesus? You were feeding us before. Well, teach us, teacher. Show us how to do the miracles like you do. And it's really kind of one of the most arrogant times I've ever seen from, well, there was more, but from the disciples. They're like, well, then just teach us how to do what you do, Jesus. And Jesus quickly says, well, the only miracle you need is to believe in the one that sent me. And he's basically saying, just believe that I'm the Christ. This faith we are speaking of is the greatest miracle that you can engage in. We can even detect the fact that Jesus and the disciples aren't on the same page by the pluralization of the word works. And I was reading out of the NLT, but the disciples keep saying, show us the works we can do, Jesus. And Jesus keeps boiling it back down and saying, there is but one work. There is one thing. That is your belief. That is what I need from you. That is what I want from you today. But this discontentment is now brewing. So like the kids in the car and the Israelites in the desert, it's about to boil over in the next few lines of our gospel passage. The disciples then say, well, show us a sign. Our ancestors had Moses, and he gave them bread in the desert. What can you do, Jesus? What are you going to do? And the frustration of Jesus is almost tangible at this point, right? The reader can tell that the disciples are just not getting it, which I feel like, how often is that me? I'm just not getting it. It's almost as if Jesus wants to shout at them, I am not the new and better Moses. I didn't come here to be Moses, and don't you get it? I'm not trying to be that guy that hit the rock in the Old Testament. I'm not Moses. I will never be Moses because I am the new and better manna. I'm that which came from heaven because of heaven. I am not here to nourish your today. I'm here to nourish your every day. I'm the manna that doesn't rot, and I'm the manna that doesn't leave, and I'm the manna that will never change. I am the manna, not the Moses. And he wants to tell us today, too, just like he wanted to tell them, I don't just turn water into wine. I am the wine at the communion table. And I'm not just the person that meets the woman at the well, but I am the living water that sustains your days. And I'm not the one who feeds the 5,000. I am the food that gives you life. I am all you need. So how often do I and you and we approach Jesus wanting signs and wonders when he just wants to be a sustainer? 
It's not that Jesus is incapable of the miraculous. It is that because of our flawed humanity, just like the disciples who witnessed a miracle, we often can't understand that the greatest miracle is in fact that Jesus is Emmanuel. He is a God that is with us. The God of all eternity wants to be present in our lives, to be our daily bread, and that in itself is the miracle of the gospel. That is a miracle. May we, may we not get so caught up in waiting for a big show that we miss our little moments. One of my favorite prayer times right now in my life is the rocking of Winnie at nap time. Now, some of you may have opinions about whether or not you should rock an almost three-year-old, and I don't want to hear them, because um, I like it. Um, now, if it was my first one, I would have probably called myself ridiculous, but I still do it. So, I rock Winnie at nap time every day, and I have for some time. I put on this song, and it's by one of my favorite artists, Jason Upton. He's a kind of folk worship artist. And the words go something like this. Jesus, when you speak to me, I hope I'm listening to you. And let this heart of mine receive what is full of grace and truth. And whisper, whisper, whisper in my ear. And tell me words I thought I'd never hear. Show me, show me, show me what is true. And illuminate what's right in front of me. So I rock my youngest and I sing it over her like a prayer. I just whisper, whisper, whisper in my ear. I don't sing, guys. But, and tell me all these words I thought I'd never hear. Lord, show me, show me, show me what you see. Illuminate what's right in front of me. And I whisper, and I hold her close, and I sing these little prayers over her. She's getting too big, maybe. But as I see her eyes begin to fade, I see her mouth moving the words in the chorus that says, remind me, remind me, remind me of your love. And she sings it until her eyes fade, and her, and her, and her body just kind of goes limp as you hold her, as you all know that perfect feeling of a sleeping a sleeping Winnie for sure. <laughs> and in these little moments where I'm reminded of the very presence of God. But if we're not careful, we can miss those moments. If we aren't careful, we can think that ministry in God require microphones and multitudes. We can forget that Jesus just wants to be manna. He wants to be consistent and faithful and sustaining. He wants to be present in the simple. He wants to be present in the rocking of your baby. He wants to be present in your days and present in your darkest hour. He wants to be with us. But when we let Jesus sustain us, when we let Jesus enter our lives, he trains our eyes to be like his, to see the highs and lows, the love and the need that's right in front of us, right? So sometimes our discontentment in this life can move us out of these moments. Sometimes our eyes are fixed on quail and old manna. Our eyes get fixated and focused on things that were never meant to last, things that are never meant to keep us and to hold us. 
and our eyes might not all be focused on the same things in here. Maybe your eyes are fixed on anxiety and worry. Maybe your eyes are fixed on the government, whether with hope or with fear. It may be both. Maybe your eyes are fixed on money. Maybe you don't have enough, or maybe you have too much, or maybe we still want more. So may we fix our eyes on Jesus this morning. Because when we fix our eyes upon Jesus, we gather together for family meals and we honor those that are closest to us. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we end up giving 240 backpacks to needy families in elementary schools. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we worry a whole lot less about me and are far more concerned about the we. When we lose this discontentment of this world, we can find our contentment in daily bread. And in those moments, we can achieve what the disciples ultimately wanted in John chapter 6. We can feed the 5,000. We can nourish the multitudes by sharing the new manna, the daily bread, the Jesus Christ that lives and breathes and holds us close. We can share that with our neighbor. Let us pray. Jesus, we are so grateful for your presence in this place.